tonight to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 is where we talk this evening. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the effective church. Getting a lot of echo here, guys. I don't know if we can turn that down a little bit. Sound like I landed in a barrel here for a second. Matthew 16. We do not want to take unbiblical shortcuts to do God's work through the local church. Sometimes we take turns and do things differently and things that are not really biblical. A lot of churches do things that are not biblical to try to have more of an impact. We want to have an impact. That's our theme this year. But we want to do it the right way. I heard a story of a dad who was driving uh, with his daughter and he made an illegal turn and realized it just after the turn. He said, uh-oh, I just made an illegal turn. And she says, that's okay, daddy. The policeman behind us just took the same turn. Uh, sometimes we take unbiblical turns, wrong turns. We want to do God's work God's way at Bible Baptist Church. Now, there's two things that a Baptist does not like. A Baptist does not like change, and he doesn't like things to stay the same, right? Uh, those are two things we don't like. Uh, we, we don't like when things are stagnant, but we also sometimes are resistant to change. And tonight I want to talk to you about some, this is going to be just uh, very informal. Uh, it's going to be maybe more of a conversation than preaching, but it just kind of share my heart on what my uh, view and a vision is for an effective local church. And when we do talk about this matter, uh, one of the things we talk about is contextualization. Uh, contextualization is the, the process of considering something in relation to the situation in which it happens or exists. In a church setting, this means trying to fit our ministry in a modern-day society. Now, churches do all kinds of things to, uh, to try to fit in or impact society at large. They will mimic secular concerts. They'll do things like paint the auditorium black, turn the lights off, and have more of a concert-style place or... They'll uh, dress down, uh, the preachers will dress down to fit in with the styles of the day. Sometimes they'll remove pulpits, they'll use slick promotional uh, advertisements and tools. Um, and, you know, some of them even go as far as having a, uh, a white bottom to their dress shoes. Look at Brother Wes's shoes right there, like that. Some of them even go that far, all right? Uh, now, these things that I'm talking, some of these things are not wrong at all in and of themselves. We use some of those things as well. Uh, and, and in fact, some con contextualization is necessary. We, we need some of it or uh, we're not going to have any impact at all. But here's the principle and the balance that we have to remember to have at Bible Baptist Church, and I believe in the church today, over-contextualization loses the impact of the church because why would we try to tell people that we offer something better than the world offers and then mimic the world they came from to try to give it to them? That makes no sense at all. In my opinion, that loses a lot of impact. And then if we under-contextualize, then we become rigid people that turn others off and quite frankly, we can become weird. Did you know there's a lot of church people that are weird? A lot of churches. Have you ever been? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying there's a lot of churches that I've been in and you go and they're like, these people are kind of weird. And we don't want to be weird. We are, we are set apart. We ought to be sanctified. We are peculiar, the Bible says, uh, chosen. But we don't want to turn people off 
And so we have to achieve that balance, and that's my goal of what we want to do at Bible Baptist Church. There should be a difference in the community because the church exists. Unfortunately, that's not often the case. We can be more about church preservation than we are about community transformation. And I tell you, my heart is community transformation. I want to make an impact in the community that we live in. It's not only the us for no more type of principle that some churches have. Now, the goal that I have, lest I be misunderstood tonight, is not to change anything, but to give biblical explanation why we do what we do, and uh, hopefully we'll have an understanding, okay? So let's get started tonight as we talk about the effective church. Let's first start with this passage, Matthew 16, verse number 17. And I want to remind you of a very important principle. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father, I ask you tonight to help me be clear and concise and not be misunderstood in my purpose, my intent, or my heart. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The first rock-solid uh, rock principle I want to give you tonight is that this is God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And he said, I will build my church. And this is hard sometimes for especially pastors, to accept that it is not about me and I am not called to build this church. He said, I will build the church. That's what Jesus said. He's going to build his church. We are called to be obedient within the church so that he can build it. And sometimes we get caught up in thinking that building this, uh, building the local church is all up to me and it's not. Now, I can get in the way of it, or I can assist it, and I hope that our goal is to assist it. So we're to focus on the things that God told us to do. What did he tell us to do? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. We're called to love each other. That's, what we, that's really number one, what we ought to do within the walls of this local church, is we ought to love one another. We're called to forgive one another, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We're called to forgive. You know what's going to happen in a local church that has people in it? Somebody is going to offend somebody, or you're going to be offended by somebody, and we're called to forgive. When somebody does us wrong, we're to forgive. And uh, we're this week, uh, I needed to be forgiven because I had set up a discipleship with a couple in our church, and uh, they were kind enough to say, come a little early and we'll feed you dinner. And so they set that up and my day blew up. Everything went south and I was getting busy. And they called about 15 minutes after I was supposed to be there. And I could not be there anymore. And I, I hate when that happens. But they were very gracious. Thankfully, they forgave me. And they even came to church this morning. That was a blessing. But we're to forgive one another. We're to give of our resources. We're to give, and, and that's one of the commands of Scripture. And we're to serve in whatever capacity that we can. We should be involved. And when we do those things, He will build the church. It's not up to us to build it. He's going to build it. We ought to remember that. Number two, there's some things in the local church that we must never discontinue. 
Uh, there's a church in Sarasota, Florida called Rethink Church. And their, their whole idea is that we don't want to do things, anything like is traditional. We want to rethink church. Well, uh, we do not need to rethink winning people to Christ, baptizing them, teaching them. We don't need to rethink the Great Commission. It's God's church, and we don't have any business changing the biblical model that He has set forth to build His church. So we, with all that being said, we do strive for relevance. We have to be relevant or we're not going to reach anybody. And so uh, we don't want to be misunderstood. We do want the Word of God to connect with people. And uh, so there is definitely, I hope you understand when I say there's definitely a balance that has to be struck as we try to reach people in the 21st century. man told his pastor after the service, Pastor, your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. Pastor says, well, that's nice. But he didn't know exactly what he meant, so he asked him to explain. He said, well, Pastor, the sermon reminded me of the love of God because it endured forever. And it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. Uh, no, we want to be understood. Amen. We want people to get the message. And relevance, don't, don't miss this principle here. Relevance is okay in presentation, but we need to be careful not to change the message. So relevance is... Uh, you know, we, we, there are certain things that go unchanged in a church and they ought to remain unchanged. The desire for relevance is not a removal of a difference. We are different. We should be different. And the world, by the way, is seeking a difference. Why in the world do churches want to be just like the world to reach people in the world? It makes no sense to me. We are different. And I'm convinced we ought to stay that way. Meg Storm I can't remember if she writes for the New York Times or who, what, where she wrote this, but she wrote an article I read a while back uh, entitled, I Need Jesus, Not Starbucks. And this is a statement she made in that article. And I quote, More and more I have been seeing churches boast of the cool, trendy new initiatives that they have begun. By the way, she's not a believer. This is not a Christian talking, just to give you the perspective. Uh, more and more I've been seeing churches boast of the cool, trendy new initiatives that they have begun. I have seen pictures of coffee bars that resemble Starbucks. I have seen lighting that resembles Broadway. I have read catchy sermon titles. I have seen how people have brought uh, the movies into their sermons. I see all that churches are doing to attract people, but I don't hear them talking about the power of Jesus, end quote. That's very sad, and it's especially sad that a non-Christian calls that out. We're to show the power of God. Uh, now, obviously, there are some things in our American culture that we adopt, okay? There's just some things that we, uh, we have to adapt to culture uh, as we're within that culture. I mean, we wear clothes. That's a good thing, amen? Anybody else glad that Brother Jeremy didn't come in a loincloth tonight? I am, all right? We, we, dress, uh, we dress according to culture and how culture has. So we find things in the Bi that the Bible... Uh, repudiates and we follow suit. Uh, the problem is when we view culture in general, just because it's culture, we view it as wrong. And that's not always the case. And so we write it off. I hear preachers sometimes even preach and, and they'll make a statement like, I didn't have a cell phone when I was a teenager and they don't need one either. Well, that may be true, but guess what? They have a cell phone. And so let's live within the world that exists and not try to make one that doesn't exist. And we have to operate in what is not an outdated ideal of what we think should be or what was 50 years ago. Our response can be wrong 
and it leads to isolation. And I have seen churches that they're like an island unto themselves. And once in a while, they'll get on the ferry boat and view the natives and they'll get back to the ferry, take their ferry back to the island and whew, get away from all the, the, uh, the worldly people. That's what you call a subculture. And a subculture is not relevant, nor is it impactful to a lost and dying world. We have to get out among the lost and dying world. Jesus talked about us being salt. And uh, we, we you, it's a tired old cliche, but salt is no good as long as it's in the shaker. And right now we're in the shaker. We need to get out of the shaker or we're not going to have any impact on those around us. So how do we respond to culture? We ought to be somewhat educated on what is going on. Find out where our community is, know our culture. And this is uh, uh, not only defined in what we say, but in what we do. And, we, and to some extent... We have to live in the culture that we live in. I'll give you an example. In the Amish church, when we would get to church, we would uh, pull the buggy up close to the house we were meeting at that week, and the women and the girls would get off, and they would go into the house where the women were, and then the men would be congregating out in the barn, and then the bishop gave a uh, uh, the signal, whatever it was, and then we would all go in, and they, they sat separate in the house for the service. But what the one thing they did that's different than us is that the men did what they figured was biblical and greeted each other with a holy kiss on the lips. This morning I was in the foyer looking at some of the men here, and I'm glad that's not our culture, amen? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm, we need to realize the culture that we're in, okay? And understand where we are. Now, I'm simply saying, and, and I don't, again, I don't mean to be mean, but sometimes Christians can be weird, and we don't need to be weird. When the Bible says that we are a chosen people, a peculiar people, that doesn't mean that we ought to be odd. And I don't want somebody that, you know, come off the street, an unchurched person, and come in and feel like he's just stepped into some kind of strange cult. And unfortunately, some churches are like that. I don't think ours is, by the way, but some are like that. Now, number three. There are some things we should discontinue. Churches discontinue many things, uh, often wrongly. They uh, discontinue some things because of what they see as a lack of a result. Now, we are to love on people. We're to love people where they're at. We're to be accepting to people. We're to hand out gospel tracts. We're to invite people to our church. We're to witness to people. We are, I think we ought to continue having VBS and try to reach children and have youth activities and all those things. Not because we have a chart of effectiveness. This is very important. We don't chart everything that we do and say, okay, we spent so much on VBS this year and it looks like we didn't get anybody that comes to church because of VBS, so let's not, let's not spend money on that anymore. We don't do everything that we do at the local church because of some chart of effectiveness. We do it because we want to be obedient. We want to be obedient. And if we are obedient, guess what God will do? I will build my church. I love that. Matthew 28, 19 is still in your Bible. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We are to do all those things out of obedience, and uh, I, I, it saddens me. I hear this in preachers' fellowships sometimes where pastors are talking about, well, we don't do this anymore because it just didn't seem to be effective. There are some things we don't discontinue because the Bible tells us to keep doing it. 
Well, I've witnessed to 50 people and no one got saved. Keep doing it. That's what God told us to do. We are to give the gospel to those that we reach or, or those that we meet. We must never abandon the commands of the Bible. And my desire is that we do not ever lose the focus of why we are here. So what should we discontinue? What should we discontinue in the local church? Well, the answer to that is anything that takes the focus away from our primary mission. And our primary mission is to reach people for Christ and to grow the people that we have in Christ. That's our primary mission at Bible Baptist Church. And opportunity does not always equal obligation. And so there are sometimes things that we uh, discontinue. I'll give you an example. When I first came here, we were spending in excess of 10000 at least the first couple of the year, years, on VBS every year. And it was a really nice VBS. We had really nice VBSs. And, but I didn't feel the focus was quite right. Uh, kids don't need a Gucci bag to hear about the gospel, amen? I mean, they don't, I mean, it was nice. Things were really nice. But so I just kind of slowly, we started to change the vision. We cut down uh, on a lot of the spending that we did that I felt was unnecessary. We discontinued much of what we did, but we increased the focus on the souls and the teaching in the Bible that we got into the children. That's what, that, because that goes by our primary mission, see? And so we discontinue anything that uh, does not, uh, that takes the focus away from the primary mission. Number four, we must exist intentionally as the church. Avoid the drift that can come. Keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? It's in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seeing people saved. Seeing people baptized. Uh, seeing... Uh, uh, people discipled. We just, it's such a huge deal. We make such a big deal here about discipleship. And uh, since it's my son-in-law, I could lay down the law. He got joined the church this morning. He was in discipleship tonight. Amen. So that's a blessing. I can't. Everybody else, I have to ask him. I could command. All right. But uh, he was. Uh, I, I, it's important. Uh, Save, baptize, discipled. That's the great commission. Uh, we win them. We wet them, and we teach them. Amen. And that's all part of the Great Commission we want to be a part of. As churches, we can put a lot of programs into place. Don't miss this too. This is so important. We can put a lot of programs into place that do not require the power of God. A lot of churches do that. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Do nothing without me. And my desire is to see lives transformed and people grow and bringing souls to Christ is how we make heaven rejoice. George Truitt said the bringing of one soul to Christ is the highest achievement possible to the human life. And I hope you're about that business. Now, I want to look at five principles to an effective church. And hopefully these might be a help to you. Five principles to an effective church. Number one, uh, effective church has compassionate people. Compassion is showing kindness or favor being gracious, having pity, or mercy. In the Bible, God is described as a compassionate father to those who revere him. In Psalm 103, 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Jesus Christ is exemplified, uh, exemplifies God's compassion for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He was compassionate, Jesus was, in his preaching and his healing. 
Matthew 9, 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. In his concern for the lostness of humanity, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, talks about when he was coming toward Jerusalem, as he drew near, he beheld the city and wept over it. A pastor who was new in the area of a very rough part of town was looking out his study window and weeping out, uh, weeping as he looked out over the inner city's tragic conditions. And a layman was standing behind him in the office and tried to control him, uh, console him. And he said, don't worry, after you've been here a while, you'll get used to it. And that new pastor said, yes, I know, and that's why I'm crying. We ought never to lose our compassion in what we do. We ought to never lose the love that we are to have for people. Jesus had that in his preaching, his healing. He also had it in his sacrifice on the cross, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The church is to demonstrate compassion. One reason is because Jesus commanded it. Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they should, shall obtain mercy. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Love one another is hard enough. And he had to add that second part, as I have loved you. That's not so easy. Because he loved you when you were unlovable. And we're to love one another when we're unlovable. I know that that's hard to imagine, and this is a stretch. This is going to hurt for you to think this way. Sometimes you're not lovable. I don't know what that feels like, but sometimes you're not lovable, okay? No, I'm just kidding. All of us, there's time. And you know what God does? He loves us anyway, and we're to love one another. We're to have that love that He commands us to have. In Scripture, compassion is always both a feeling and an appropriate action based on that feeling. Compassion, someone said, is pity with shoe leather. You put to action your pity. An effective church will have compassion. Secondly, a an effective church will have a comprehensive commitment. I'm all for Christian service. I'm all for a community involvement. There is no ministry happening without involving gospel truth. We try to have none anyway. Every time that we do anything, whether it's a youth activity, whether it's a community outreach, whether it's a, uh, uh, the, the uh, harvest celebration that we have for the kids, VBS, whatever it is, we always get the gospel out in some form. Uh, feeding the firemen, uh, teen bowling, whatever we do. And one of my desires is to train people to be a part of an effective church. That's why we put so much emphasis on discipleship, because that's what we're doing. We're talking in discipleship about how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to be effective servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity for effective excellence, and that's what I want for our church. Disraeli said, it is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. And that's always my goal is the excellent. Amen? I don't want to be just good enough. I want to make a maximum impact for the Lord. And that takes commitment. That's not something that just happens. We don't fall into that. That takes some commitment. Number three, not only do we uh, have comprehensive commitment, but creative commitment. We need to be creative. And this makes some people nervous. That's one reason why I love uh, working with Pastor Nick, Ms. Gabby. They, uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of creativity has been added since they've come, okay? Because I'm not that creative of a person. But 
uh, there's much talk these days about contextualizing and all and relevance and all that. And when we talk about creative, being creative in ministry, it can scare some people. But believe it or not, that word is in your Bible. Did you know that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was pretty creative too, don't you think? He did a great job with heaven and the earth. And uh, we don't want to compromise our ministry ever, but we also must never lose our pioneering spirit to try to do all that we can to reach out. And that's why I'm always trying to brainstorm ways that we can reach out into the uh, community and, and make an impact in people. I'm always thinking of ways we can insert ourselves. Uh, just to make, a, to, just to touch people with our church in some way, and you know these uh, new signs that have went up on Sixth Street, the the electronic billboards, can't drive by there. It's like, man, why is our church not up there? And I keep meaning to call, and I haven't gotten anybody yet. But but uh, you know we have we have insurance company, we have a bank pop up. Bible Baptist Church ought to pop up there as well, all right? And uh, always looking for ways to get our name out there and to affect uh, to impact people, uh, things that. Uh, we've done gift bags for police officers, uh, cake for the teacher's lounge at school, uh, feeding the firemen. We do that every year. Free hot dogs at fireworks every year. Uh, you, you guys ate most of them this year, but we did get some out. Uh, newspaper outreach. Uh, and uh, congrac by that I mean there's a uh, watch the newspaper and, so, and, and um, when I see a new doctor or somebody comes into town, I'll sometimes have a new, uh, new uh, city council or somebody send them a card of congratulations and a gospel tract invitation to church. Uh, we've done car washes, uh, neighborhood barbecues, all these different things. Uh, and, and, and there's more we want to do, but there's tons of ways that we can touch the community. And we need to get creative. I think that's a good thing, to be creative about reaching people for Christ. It, it, now, here's the problem, though. It takes people to do it. It takes people to do it. And uh, we can't do everything. And, and so uh, some, there's some things we can't do that we want to do, just simply we don't have the people and the manpower for it. And so pray along those lines that folks would be, uh, be willing to do that. In Mark chapter 2, four friends take their friend who's on a mat, paralyzed, to Jesus for healing. When they got there, it was so full, they couldn't even think about getting to Jesus. So they got creative. And they tore a hole in the roof and let him down through the roof, and the man got healing. It's interesting that Jesus forgave the sins of the palsy. And do you know why he forgave the sins of the palsy? This is, I, I don't know if you ever noticed this before, but let me read you this verse, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. Did you catch that? He saw their faith, and he blessed this man. And I think if we do all that we can to get the gospel out, to love people, to try to impact and touch as many people as we can, God will bless our faith in helping others. And I think that's a tremendous principle in Scripture. Sometimes we need to have enough desire coupled with enough faith to step outside of our box of doing things maybe that haven't been done before. That's the death knoll of a church, by the way. We've never done it that way before. Uh, sometimes we need to be creative that way. I'm talking about in the power of the Holy Spirit, looking for ways to reach out. Sometimes uh, we may try to do something and, and uh, it doesn't work. And that's happened too. And, and so we just need to try to do as much as we can. A man came to D.L. Moody and said, I don't like the way you go about soul winning. 
Well, I'm sure I could do better, D.L. Moody said. Uh, How do you do it? The man said, well, I actually don't do it. And so D.L. Moody said, well, I'll tell you what, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. Amen? I just, I'd rather be about trying to do something than not doing it. And uh, even if we do it wrong sometimes, let's make an attempt to get it out. It'd be nice, I've thought this for years, it'd be nice if we could do salvation by appointments, wouldn't it? We could have Miss Gabby answer the phone and people would make, it, make appointments to come and get saved. That's not how it works, though. You've got to go get them. You've got to go out after them. Um, it happened to me one time. One time, a lady in jail, she called, the, the, actually the jail contacted me because Brother Corey had went and preached at the jail and a lady heard the message and it just really worked on her heart. And uh, she said, I've, she told me when I got there, I've never heard anyone talk like that before and what he was talking about I want that. And so she made an appointment for me to go visit her, and she got saved. That's the only time anybody's ever made an appointment to get saved, but that's a blessing. It happened. It'd be nice if that would happen every time, and it doesn't happen often. Several years ago, uh, I was working in my uh, office here, and a and, uh, young lady, a girl, really just a, just a teenager, uh, 18, 19 years old, walked in noticeably distraught, uh, cry, had been crying. And uh, she just walked in, walked past the office, and sat back in about the second row to the back there and just sat there in the pew for a while. And that's not that unusual. Sometimes people come and they just want to sit in church for a little bit. And so I uh, gave it a few minutes, and, and then I came in and asked if I could uh, help her and, and talked with her for a little bit. And she was going through a lot of things, and, and uh, right in that pew called on Christ to be her Savior. And uh, I'm simply saying there are people out there. There are hurting souls. There are needy people, and we need to get creative about trying to reach them. We have to be committed to let our town know that there's a God in heaven that loves them, and there's also somebody at Bible Baptist Church that loves them too, and that's how we reach people. Uh, there's, uh, the, it's the blue church, by the way. I like that. We can never change our color, because when I'm out and about, uh, I'm from Bible Baptist Church. Where's that at? It's the blue church by the golf course. Oh, I know the blue church. Amen. Uh, that's, we want to let them know there's someone at the Blue Church that loves you and that cares about you. An effective church is reaching people all the time. And, and, and we have to be, because there's something called attrition. We live in a very mobile society today, and people move. Sometimes people get mad. Sometimes people just like a change of scenery. And if we want to just stay the same size, we have to constantly be bringing people in. There's about a 10% attrition rate for most churches in an average. And uh, so if we are committed to the Great Commission in obedience to Christ to be a church that is effective, then the primary concern is not building the church. The primary concern is building lives through the church and let him build the church. Jack Hiles said this, never build your ministry with your people, but build your people with your ministry. That has been one of my personal mission statements for years since I heard that. Uh, our pattern in working people with, with people is Jesus. It should be. He should be our pattern in everything, really. But in working with people, He is our pattern. He said in Galatians 4.19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That was Paul speaking. Uh, we are Christ ought to be formed in us. That's how we ought to serve Him in our pattern. We want people to see Jesus in us. I remember the story of a parents that got a little girl um, uh, the, uh, got a, a puzzle for a little girl, 
and uh, about Jesus, and, and they were talking about this, talking about salvation, and, and as she was putting this puzzle together, it's a picture of Jesus on the cross, and they're explaining salvation to her, and, and uh, she, a uh, little confused, was young, and said, I don't understand, if I ask, talking about asking Jesus to come in your heart and save you, and she says, if I ask big Jesus to come into little me, he'd be sticking out all over the place. Yeah, that's right. If Jesus comes into us and he really and we submit ourselves to him, he'll be sticking out all over the place and people will know and people ought to know. What is the process? Much of our modern day emphasis on ministry is on style. And we get right down to it, many churches emulate the world for that style. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. That has to be the primary focus of, of the church. I'm talking about discipleship. We don't want self-dependent Christians. We don't even want church-dependent Christians. We want God-dependent Christians that, uh, that, the, the, uh, that uh, are serving Him and uh, have the Holy Spirit's power within them. And a church that wins people because that church is fun and hip has to be at least as equally fun and hip going forward as to keep them. And, uh, of course, we have very hip deacons, amen? So that's a good thing. We, that's how we keep our people, amen? Uh, the process. And then the modeling. In Philippians 4, 9, these things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. People learn from people. They always do. What a great thing to have new people stepping through our doors here and for them to see models of Christianity. What should people see when they come in? I have heard this statement about four times in the last year and a half or so, and it just warms my heart every time I do. When people say, the first time I came to Bible Baptist Church, I just felt like I was home. Whew, that'll make a preacher shout right there. I love that. It means people are loving each other. People are, uh, have an environment that is conducive to accepting them in and loving on them. We don't uh, want people to come and remain in their sin. We, our, our, our motto is, come as you are, but leave changed. Amen? And we don't want them to stay where they are. We want to help them grow. But every person ought to be loved and welcome. Spurgeon said, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers will accept his practice and reject his preaching. Oh, that's so, so good. If we talk love, but we don't show love, not going to make an impact. We've got to love people. Get involved in winning people, discipling people, and leading people. Get out among them. Bring them to a, a, to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't know it all. I don't know what to say. I, I, I like this statement. I don't know who made it. But the forest would be silent indeed if no birds sang except those who sang best. <laughs> Look, you, you're not going to be a Pastor Forsberg. Have you ever been out with him? He, he's, he's amazing the way he can talk to people and the way he can just uh, work himself into a conversation. And even if I've got, I've went with him on a visit where they're mad that we got there. And by the time, you just take him a couple minutes and he'll just have them laughing or smiling or relaxed. And uh, you might not be a Pastor Forsberg, but you're not going to drive them closer to, he or, or closer to hell than they already are. They're not going to be more lost than if you speak to them. So we just, uh, we just need to love people and we need to try to reach them. 
We don't need newfangled methods in the church. We need some Christians who will love people and love one another. Recently, I had uh, two guys come in, brand new Christians, on a Wednesday night. And uh, he had gotten saved the week before. One of them did. And boy, they were listening. I mean, edge of their seat. I just love people like that. New Christians are excited about the message and nodding and and uh, just really into the message. And afterwards, he said, that was a great speak, preacher. That was a great speak. Um, and it's exciting. It's exciting to have new blood, people that are excited about the Word of God. And by the way, if everyone in our church looks the same, we're not growing. Uh, there, there's, there should be people that, I, I heard this a few years ago, there ought to be people that know how to dress, people that kind of know how to dress, and people that don't know how to dress. There should be everyone all the time. Uh, as new people come in. And uh, I like people that dress up and carry their Bibles, have a nice smile. I like that, but it's okay to have some that don't know that too, amen? We just want to reach people. And when we mentor, uh, we see people as our ministry. When we manage people, we see them as our machine. And I want to be uh, have the heart to mentor people. So is, is church for you, is it uh, your machine or your ministry? And I hope that you have a desire to minister. In Jesus, we see the pattern. We see the process. The pattern is Jesus. The process is modeling and mentoring. The product is that Christ be formed in you. Uh, an effective church is one who is constantly reproducing itself. I'd like for you to take this practice on Sunday morning sometime and just look around on Sunday morning just before the church starts and ask yourself, is there anyone in this building that's here because of you? That's a, maybe a convicting question to ask. Is there anybody here because of you? And if there isn't, get busy. Bring someone. Amen? Start bringing them in. Try inviting people. So it, takes, it takes about 10 invites for someone to come. Uh, sometimes you have to give 10 people 10 invites before you have someone come. Just keep inviting. It's a numbers game. Eventually somebody will come. Just keep inviting. We have those really nice, talk about slick promotional uh, products, we have those nice cards, your invited cards to our church. Just carry them in your car, carry them in your purse, uh, carry them with you at all times, and just hand them out to people, invite them to the church. I always tell folks when I invite uh, people, I, have you been invited to the best church in Brookings yet? Because I got a good one for you today. And I tell them they can come the first time for free. Amen? That's a blessing, isn't it? Can you believe as wonderful as church is, we get to come for free? That's awesome. And uh, so be excited. Sometimes we hand out invitations apologetically. You know, if you don't have to wash your rock collection or clip your toenails, or if there's nothing on TV, maybe you'd like to come to church sometime. Uh, hey, it's an exciting thing to be here, and you, we need to uh, promote that. If the dominant theme of our church is controlling others, we'll suppress growth in others. Uh, but to really affect anyone for Christ, we have to get involved in loving others and trying to reach them. Get in the game. I'm encouraging tonight. Get in the game. Be about the business of inviting people or uh, talking to people, witnessing to people. Get into the game. Get involved in uh, being obedient to what Jesus told us to do. And when we do that, he'll build his church. He wants to build his church. And we don't need to get in the way of it. And we don't need to step into his job either. It's not our job to build it. It's just our job to be obedient. If one battery in a flashlight is defective the lights go, either goes out or it goes really dim. Usually it goes out. Edward Everett Hale said, I am only one, but I am one. 
I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. I hope that's your prayer tonight. We can't do every, I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But all of us can do something. And if we get busy and serious about loving people and trying to impact people for the cause of Christ, you watch God build His church. He'll be able to do it so much better uh, than when we are disobedient. Nothing earth-shattering tonight, but uh, it's a challenge that I wanted to give you tonight just to encourage you once again, a reminder. Let's get into the game. Let's get busy about trying to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful to you for saving us. And what a terribly selfish thing it would be for us to hold that salvation message to ourselves and just just uh, be only concerned about ourselves getting to heaven, ourselves growing for you. Help us, Lord, to have a bigger vision than just ourselves. Help us to live for others, bringing others to you. Help us, Lord, not to get in the way of you building your church. Help us to be faithful. We ask you to use us even this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.